1: This season, the Thursday Club on Fulhamish is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sport venues are showing every televised Fulham fixture over the course of the 23-24 season. And with our upcoming game against Wolves at the Cottage live on Sky Sports, if you can't get to SW6 on the Monday night, head to your local Green King Sport pub instead and they will be showing the match. Also this season, Green King have launched the Green King Sport Instagram page, which is home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. They've already given away Champions League final tickets and signed shirts as well, so follow them at Green King Sport for your chance to win those great prizes and find out all about their special upcoming deals.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast.
1: It's the Fulhamish Podcast, your independent voice of Fulham FC. My name's Sammy James. Welcome to the show. Today, we'll be previewing Monday's game against Wolves at the Cottage. Surely a must win for Fulham to get back to winning ways, but it's going to be difficult. Firstly, no Joao Polina. Secondly, Wolves have been very impressive this season under Gary O'Neill. Also in today's show, we'll look back at the international break. Some big performances and some big results for some key Fulham players. We'll also look back at the Fulham women progressing in the cup against the Arsenal Women Academy. There's also some transfer gossip and a load of emails at the end. It's a jam-packed show today and I'm joined by Jack Collins. Hello. Hello, Sammy. Hello, listeners. How are we doing? Good, thank you. And just my official congratulations, Jack.
0: On your engagement to Lucy. Amazing news. I loved seeing it come through. It was, uh, yeah, a new signing for the Fulham family, eh? So, yeah, a a lovely one. And it's been a special couple of weeks. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. When and where's the stag? Have Have we... Got any... haven't got to that yet haven't got to that yet to be fair to loose you know you, you can tell when you know someone is is the right person when you take them to fulham nottingham forest on valentine's day uh, very early on in your relationship in the championship turned out to be a really good game it was that three two win at the cottage but oh, yeah. when she agreed to that i was like yeah it's probably probably gonna stick this one isn't it that, that feels <laughs> like the kind of the kind of trigger that you can you can make happen so yeah, it was, it was been lovely and it, it took me a while from that point, but we've uh, eventually got this one over the line. So yeah, transfer announced before we talk about more transfers today, one transfer done and dusted. Oh mate, it's
1: incredible news. If that stag do not on the Emerald Isle, I will be fuming.
0: Well, we'll see. We'll see. There's, there's a lot of people to, um, to get involved, to take a <laughs> lot of people to Ireland <laughs> might, might be difficult. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. We'll see what goes down. Not making any promises, uh, live on air at the very least where they're recorded.
1: Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll wait and see what happens there. But yeah, amazing news. And just thought I'd uh, announce it officially on the pod because I, uh, I I was I was genuinely made up when I saw that, and it's a uh, it's terrific news. Um, let's then dive into the international break uh, first and foremost. Uh, some some big games uh, for some of Fulham's players. I think we should probably start uh, with our two US players, Tim Ream, Anthony Robinson, uh, both played in both games in the con. Caf Nations League against Trinidad and Tobago and Anthony Robinson scoring in both and both goal machine yeah it, no these weren't tap either one was a brilliant goal from outside the box the second was a was a lovely header like back post run and after his kind of like assist against Villa where he dived into the box have, have we been using Anthony Robinson in the wrong way Maybe
0: he's the number nine we've been crying out for. The, the header was brilliant. To be honest, the, the first goal is excellent as well. Although it does take a little bit of a deflection, but it's nice to see him just getting forward. And look, especially after that performance, we talked about this last week a little bit. But because last, you know, because we saw that performance against Aston Villa, that was pretty dire from Robinson. By his own standards, and I think he'd be the first to admit it. You know, going forward it wasn't wasn't great, but actually going backwards it was very uncomfortable. To then put in a performance like the first one, in particular, where I thought he was man of the match for the US MNT and that in that win over Trinidad and Tobago. It took a, a long time for them to break through, but he was a constant threat. Mm. And then to be honest, the second game was a bit of a misnomer. The US actually lost two one, but they were reduced to ten after Serginho Desk got himself sent off chaotic bizarre madness um but feeling like we dodged there. a bullet with Seginio Dest I know that we were linked with him I, like, I know. know he's a good player look, yeah <laughs> he's been brilliant for PSV this season he just had a proper red mist moment and and you know it happens sometimes it wasn't great and look <laughs> you're not going to go into the ins and outs of the USMNT on here but it, it one of those where I, I still think there's a real player in there but yeah, Robinson was brilliant. Ream, very composed, very calm. And and actually what was interesting with Tim Ream was he was the person trying to calm Serginio Dest down and then got very angry and spoke out afterwards. And about after the game, i saying he'd let everyone down. He'd let the players on the bench down who weren't able to then get on and play in the system that they wanted to showcase their ability. And I thought he spoke really, really well, you know, very statesmanlike. And we've become used to this from Tim Ream. But it was just another show of that leadership, that ability to to kind of corral the troops and generally i've just been very impressed with what i've seen from him in this international break not just on the pitch but off it as well so both usmnt players having good breaks that's got to be a good thing coming back in
1: yeah. And uh, someone else who had uh, an impressive uh, moment in the CONCACAF Nations League, Bobby Deckard over Reed. Yes. I've been saying for bloody years he should be on penalties and uh, he scored the winner uh, away at Canada. A- an incredible result for Jamaica. It means they qualify for the Copa America. Massive, significant moment. and And Bobby Reed never looked like in any doubt that he was going to slot that penalty away.
0: No it was it was a really really good game this, and I think it got a little bit less shine than maybe it deserved because it was the same night as that chaotic Brazil Argentina game that took quite yeah. a lot of the eyes away from it and um, this idiot was up at two in the morning watching both, but it was it was it was a really, really fun second half, and Canada had gone in with a two-1 league that they'd taken back from Jamaica to BMO field. They were expected to pretty comfortably see it through and they scored in the first half and it looked very, very plain sailing for Canada. They were they were very comfortable. But Jamaica came out after the break and absolutely threw caution to the wind, played some really intricate, exciting attacking stuff. They played some really nice on-the-break football as well when Canada did have the opportunity to to kind of lay people forward. They took the lead, they were pegged back immediately, which left Canada going through. But then Bobby's penalty made it 4 all on aggregate, which meant that Jamaica were going through on away goals. Demarai Gray had his own moment of madness, another one linked to Fulham, who had a proper red missed moment and, and kicked the ball into the stands, got a second yellow card for it. Very, very chaotic. But Jamaica held on, yeah. And, and Bobby's penalty was excellent. I thought he was really impressive. He played in a much more kind of, kind of transitional style, I suppose, on the right-hand side, getting up and down. But he, he worked really hard to try and deal with the threat that, Alfonso Davis you know provides for Canada he had a really good game and topped it off with that penalty that sent them to Copa America so yeah incredible scenes and shouts out to Bobby what a player what a servant to both club and country yeah. and just delighted for him because it was a real it's not there's been a lot of potential around this Jamaica side for a little while now I think and there's been a lot of noise around them but this is the first one I'm like, yes, they've gone and, you know, proved their worth. And, and they're going to a tournament that's going to have a lot of eyes on it. That's got to be a good thing ahead of 2026. Um, Jay Stansfield also uh, managed to make uh,
1: his uh, debut for the England under 21s. He's mm. so nearly scored. Uh, he yeah, he hit the post, but I know you guys discussed this um, at length uh in in last week's podcast about the the impact of Jay Stansfield playing for the under 21s but yeah just awesome to see and and a, another kind of box ticked on on his big season and his big development and i i just i agreed wholeheartedly with everything you Peter and Drew said last week where you're just like this time next year is going to be really really exciting when he comes back into the fold because it it just it's like week by week, he's just kind of growing and, and you know, there's some serious caliber of player that he's playing with uh, in the under 21s.
0: Yeah. I I really like it. I've been talking on Twitter to, or or X formerly known as Twitter, if you will, to Luke, who's a Watford fan, but he does a lot of analytics around the championship. He's a really brilliant follow. And he has been doing a thing about strikers over the last few days in the championship and how they stack up to each other statistically and and where they sit on a kind of graph. And, Mm Stansfield's been pretty good in, in most of these charts. So I, I messaged him just being like, look, these have been really interesting, Luke. Um, there's a lot of clamour in the Fulham fan base for him to be back and starting next season, given that he's doing really well. How do you, you know, how do you see it? And he said, I think it's a big ask for him to start, but the trajectory's on. I don't see why that can't be an option in the future. Takes a lot of shots. Clean striker of the ball, smart link up play. I think he needs to grow into his body more for the top level. I've got to say that I don't want to put any downers on this, but I still have my doubts about him playing as a lone nine. because of what we've seen at Birmingham where he's obviously played in a a two how that kind of translates to a Marco Silva system where we've barely ever seen two strikers start at the same time whether that means he plays as a 10 whether that means he plays wide lots of question marks about where that is but I don't think there's any doubt that his trajectory is definitely on on the right path and that if he continues to keep making these steps through the age groups, can secure this spot in the 21s now and and actually start to, to start games for them and, and make sure that he's a key part of that side, all of that is great experience and all of that is going to be good when it comes to Jay coming back and trying to stake his claim. So, yeah, I think there's plenty to be excited about.
1: I think when he'll come, I, I think I, I can see a future for him at first on the right side of a forward line for us that's but obviously there is some competition there with with Wilson and with Decadova Reed who who often plays there as well but I think what he offers that okay a bit of Bobby can but definitely Harry Wilson can't and it was why I always quite liked the idea of not that I think it was ever that likely of Barrett and Diaz where he can like can play on the right but also can do a job in the middle as well like that versatility to play different positions across the front line I think will make him an enormous asset but I don't think signing a big number nine if we do do that in January or the summer actually takes away Stansfield's place
0: yeah yeah I mean it's going to be it's going to be very interesting just in terms of how they develop that I think there's also maybe scope in that number 10 role especially with the way that Silver likes them to come uh, you know ahead of their number nine and be the presser which is something that Stansfield is good at and, and I like him in that kind of pressing forward role so there's maybe an alternative option there, but obviously both the Wobi and Pereira are in there, which gives competition in that kind of spot as well. So lots of question marks, but I don't think anyone's questioning the talent at this point. And he's, he's a very, very talented player. Yeah. Yeah. And, and and keep him at Birmingham. I know that there's the clamor to recall him from loan, but you guys bring him home. No,
1: no, no. no. (laughs) Yeah. You guys are very, very, very right on that. Uh, Elsewhere, Jack, um, a bit of disappointment for, for Harry Wilson. Um, they didn't manage to qualify automatically for the Euros. couple of draws in, in Armenia and then at home against Turkey. Although just before we recorded, um, they've uh, had their playoff draw and uh, it's a it's a kind it's as good as they could have hoped for they, they're at home against finland and then the final should they get there and i think they can probably progress past the Finns at home yeah F- finland well, weren't very
0: good in this they're, they're the
1: final period. will be at home which is massive for wales i feel like on the road they're a bit shaky but but at home
0: they literally can beat anyone and i think potentially could beat the poles yeah no definitely yeah. poland haven't been very good either So worth pointing that out at this point, but yeah, I mean, look, Wilson was good. I thought in in both of these games, he got an assist, I think, in the second one for former teammate Nico Williams. They were unlucky not to be. Yeah, they were unlucky not to beat Turkey, to be honest. And Turkey have been excellent under Vincenzo Montella. They'd already or obviously already qualified, so there is that to take into account. But I think Wales should have won this game. It wouldn't have mattered anyway because Mm. Croatia beat Armenia. So that game in Yerevan is going to be the one that they look back at and be like, that's where we really needed to, to make it count. And they couldn't, which was a little bit upsetting from those of a Welsh persuasion, I imagine, because whilst Armenia beat Wales 4-2 in Cardiff earlier in this qualification campaign, it felt like Wales had really bounced back from that opening salvo where they'd been you know, kind of battered. And you were like, after three games sitting there thinking there's absolutely zero chance that Wales qualify for this automatically. They're going to have to hope for the playoff spots. And actually the way that they rallied and, you know, returns to some shape and form of what we've seen over the last couple of years from Wales, I think is positive signs and gives them that trajectory going into these playoffs. So plenty of, you know, things to like about that. But when you kind of look at it and, and think about how Harry Wilson's performed, it's another international break where Wilson has gone out and, and been very, very good for his country. And it's a question of how we now can try and translate that into those kind of performances on the pitch at Craven Cottage.
1: Yeah. And uh, two more Fulham players uh, will definitely be at uh, Euro 2024. Uh, Saskia Lukic uh, for Serbia, Marek Rodak uh, for Slovakia. And, and of course, uh, Joao Polina, uh will be there for Portugal as well. Uh, let's look ahead. And Timmy Castania, hang on. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry, Timmy. I... Timmy Chestnuts will be there.
0: It was, it was
1: good. Yeah, he actually got an assist as well, didn't he, for Belgium? Um, yes, he
0: did. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, uh, yeah. Sorry, Timmy Chestnuts will be there. I, uh, I got a little bit ahead of myself. Other oh, people, there'll be quite a lot of uh, Fulham representation then at the Euros, which is uh, which is quite fun. Um, let's look back, uh, Jack, at the Fulham women who beat Arsenal Women Academy in the Capital Cup last Sunday at Craven Cottage. Over three thousand in attendance. Uh, a penalty shootout win after an entertaining two-two draw. And this is a real result. Arsenal Women Academy won this competition last year and Fulham held on. Um, It was a really dramatic game. Um, Fulham went 2-0 up. Rachel Panting scored. Uh, There was a penalty by Mendes and then Arsenal got it back to 2-2. And then Ellie Parker saved a penalty in the last minutes of the match. And then she saved three penalties in the shootout to win it Uh, for fulham so definitely ellie parker uh the hero of the match and yeah i was just i was very impressed a again another great attendance at craven cottage but also progressing against a pretty formidable
0: opponent yeah it's good to be talking about a parker at the cottage in in a good light (laughs) it's not nice and refreshing yeah it was it was a funny game in many ways um fulham were well, probably the better side in the opening 20 minutes or so. And then it became a little bit backs to the wall. And it, it was kind of interesting in the way that Arsenal gained control of the game through, throughout or, or started to like put their foothold on it. And, and that level of technical ability that you're kind of expecting from, you know, an Arsenal side who have a lot of a lot of foundations in 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 the women's game, but also have a lot of investment and a lot of backing in terms of building this side up. And there was a lot of talent in in this Arsenal side as well. You know, players who are playing for the young lionesses. Actually it's it's a funny one in the in the fact that it was Amelia Bloom who missed both the penalty at the end of the 90 minutes and the crucial penalty in the shootout and was probably the best player on the pitch for the entire night. You know, when you're like, oh, you didn't deserve that, do you? That's that's really quite harsh. But brilliant for Vulham And actually, brilliant from both goalkeepers, because Ellie Parker had come on as a substitute um, for Libby Stratton, who was brilliant in the first half and made a couple of really, really crucial saves. It was a little bit back to the wall. There is an element of this that, obviously, when you're playing an academy side, the kind of comparison that jumps out, and we were talking about this before the podcast, is the papa john's trophy or what used to be the st johnson the johnson's paint trophy um but it was still a a really impressive result and i think for considering where fulham are within the system and our kind of position in terms of building through this hierarchy and trying to progress sensibly and sustainably through the leagues this is the kind of result you look at and go yeah there's a lot of really talented footballers there there is a lot you know, in this Arsenal side, as you say, former winners of this competition that you'd expect them to be in the latter stages. So for Fulham at this point in our development to have, to have knocked them out and, and to be into the next round is is great. And there were some some really impressive performances. Yeah, mostly at the back, I think. But I really, really liked Megaly Mendes' two penalties. She was very unlucky in the shootout. She missed. Yeah. but. It came down off the bar and I wonder if there's goal line tech if that actually, uh, if that (laughs) one actually stands. But the first one's put away really comfortably and there's some really nice stuff from Sasha Adamson as well going forward. She was unlucky in the first half hit the bar, um, but I quite liked what she was doing in terms of link up play and getting stuff into the into the mix and and, and making things happen. So, yeah, plenty to be pleased about, I think, from a Fulham perspective and, and plenty to look forward to with whoever we draw in the next round.
1: Yeah, and and it seems like f- for the league, we've been stuck in this blooming division for for a long time. But getting so close, um, second last year, third the year before, currently um, second now, but five points behind Dartford, who are who are top of the division. It, it feels like Fulham just need to. Get out of this division. Get up to the fourth tier. They've been so close for so many years. And I think it's what this team and Steve J deserve for all the hard work that's been going in. But there's still quite a long way left uh, in the division. And great, Jack, to see another kind of 3000 plus attendance at the cottage. I was really upset that I wasn't able to to make it again um, this time. But it's just showing that there is actually some appetite within the Fulham fan base to, you know, it's not filling the ground, obviously, but I still think that's a really healthy attendance um, for
0: for a women's team that is not at the absolute top end of women's football. Yeah, of course it is, and and I think that you know when you there is an element of build it and they will come, right? When you when you put the games on at the cottage, it's very difficult to get to Motspur Park, and unless you drive, and if you drive, then great, fair enough. But I don't, and so to be able to you know draw in this kind of crowd and, and show that ability is is important, and I think that. When you're kind of looking at that, and yeah, and it's something that Fulham need to look at in terms of how they how they progress and how we look to build interest going forward and and sustain the the growth that's already been ha- you know happening around the club. All of those things matter, and so that is it's important that these games and this visibility is part of it. There was an opportunity, and I'm really glad the club took it, and they deserve credit for that.
1: Yeah, they do do because uh, you know these international breaks are the perfect window where. Craven cottage isn't being used and and we can open it up it's, it's it like and and every team uh, up and down the the women's pyramid have this kind of like visibility issue, how to use their own stadiums. Arsenal obviously are doing this interesting experiment where I think they're thinking within the next year of using the Emirates for every game. Um, but they're, they're trying to understand the feasibility of like, okay, it's great that we can sell out the Emirates for a one-off game, but how many times can you do that? over How many whole seasons, season? tickets can you sell? Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so this is something that's got, that's happening everywhere. And I watched the um, United city game that was old, uh, old Trafford. Uh, on Sunday. And it's just really impressive. It's a really good game of football. 43,000 there at Old Trafford. And and, and definitely, it's growing season on season. And whilst what Fulham's doing is is not at that level yet, still in our own way, um, making some really, really impressive strides. So uh, yeah, congrats to everyone there. Um, Let's look at a couple of transfer rumours, Jack. Everyone's getting very excited about Andre. I must admit that it's only maybe in in the last day or so where I've actually started to get excited. because I, 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 You've been seeing these rumors over and over again, but you're like, yeah, but Man United and Liverpool want him. He doesn't really want to come to Fulham, but it's kind of growing in realism with every passing day. Like this does seem like there's, there's something there. Let, let's talk a little bit about who Andre is, um, the people
0: that maybe aren't super clued up with Brazilian football. Yeah, so Andre is a defensive midfielder. It's quite a small defensive midfielder who plays for Fluminense who just won the Copa Libertadores. He's just played for Brazil in the international break and been out there snapping ankles and kicking Argentinian kicking Argentines uh, across <laughs> the course of uh, of that crunch game there. But he's a really really interesting young talent. And someone who has taken a while, this taken a while, sometimes it feels like a late bloomer. That's not quite the case here. He's still young, but he sort of was kind of hyped up around 16 and then dropped back. And he played really well as a youngster. He moved from Bayer to Fluminense very early on as a striker, had some real success with youth sides and then couldn't break into the first team. And so they moved him back to a number 10, And then they moved him back to number eight and then they moved him back to number six. And there he found his spot. And at that point became a very, very key moment of what's known now as the Fluminense's golden youth generation that came through. He's part of this young Brazilian center midfield group that are starting to make waves. So there's João Gomes, who's at Wolverhampton Wanderers who we'll see on Monday night, you'd imagine. Um, There's also Andre Santos, who plays a little bit further forward, who's on loan at Nottingham Forest from Chelsea, but was picked up pretty early. There's a lot of players in this kind of group that you're like, ooh, there's some really interesting footballers here. And a lot of them are very highly rated to, you know, within the squad. There's also Danilo, who's at Forest as well, who came straight from Palmeiras and, and started into that team really nicely. He's definitely part of that generation, that kind of group amongst the Brazilian football fans, amongst the Brazilian press. They're the kind of people that are all being grouped together. So this feels, considering where those players have ended up, obviously Santos is at Chelsea, but he's been moved out to Nottingham Forest, Danilo's at Forest, Gomes is at Wolves. Fulham feels like a nice kind of space, right, in in that kind of regard. So he can watch those players and go, okay, Nottingham Santos wasn't getting the opportunity at Chelsea, He's gone to Forest, where we know Danilo is thriving. We see João Gomez thriving at Wolves. Maybe I need to make that kind of stepping stone move as well. The reports have come from pretty solid sources in Brazil. I spoke to you know a friend journalist in Brazil about this, and he said, well, mostly he co- he covers Palmeiras, but he pointed me in the direction of Bruno Andrade and George Nicola, and both of them have been pretty full on with the fact that they think that the Fulham move is, is getting closer. Nicola, in particular, who's talking about the fact that Andre has been sold the project and believes that it's a good opportunity for him. And that's why I think that there is a reason to get excited. Now that doesn't mean it's a done deal and it doesn't mean that people can't swoop in. And it doesn't mean that if bigger clubs do re-enter the equation, that eyes cannot be turned and heads cannot be turned and, players end up in different positions to where they have. We've seen it before. Right. But from what we're seeing and what I'm reading out of Brazil, there does seem to be movement on this one. And it seems to be edging closer. And, and, and look, I really like this. I think it's a really, really smart move. It's there is an element of Polina replacement about it. He's a yeah, red... That was my next question. <laughs> He's a different player. He's small. He's like five, nine, but, and he doesn't win much in the air. But in terms of getting around the pitch, in terms of tackling, he's a little bit more like, he's a bit like a more defensively minded Angola Kante. Now, he's not that good. And I, you know, I, I always, I, I seem to always make Kante comparisons on, on this podcast. And I have to always caveat with being like, hold your horses. He's not quite that good. But there are definitely elements of the way that he gets around the pitch, breaks up play. Um, he loves, he loves a tackle. He loves a tackle. He, and he, he doesn't fly in on the ground but he does sort of use his body to shift along now there are questions and where he does play a little bit like Polina in terms of is in terms of his disciplinary record he loves a card um (laughs) and he gets booked a lot he's had two reds I think this season and 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 seven yellows which is a lot and those elements of his game are going to have to be calmed and stratified but that aggression and that Ability to win the ball back and, and actually break teams down is matched by a quite simple but quite effective passing game. He doesn't tend to play long balls forward or he, he tends to keep the ball and recycle it. There's a little bit of Jorginho in there in, in that kind of space. He just likes to knock it about and, and make sure it gets out to the places that he wants it to be. But he's also quite a nice dribbler of the ball. He's quite press resistant. He is able to get out of tight spaces. He doesn't tend to you know drive... 30 yards into the opposition half and, and make things happen, but he's able to spin out of possession or spin out of a press in possession and open the game up a little bit by then by then spreading it wide. So I think generally, he'd be a really nice addition to Polina with the idea that maybe he could fill in that number six role permanently as a kind of long-term option. It would involve a little bit of a change of style in for in that how dominant physically Polina is in the air compared to what Andre is. He's a bit like, He'll go for it, but that's mostly because he's very, very competitive as opposed to the fact that he's winning every every ball in the air. So alongside Pellinia would be a very, very stalwart defensive shield. They'd get around well, they'd, they'd make things happen. Um, and I think that maybe you can work that in with someone else long-term if he is to be a Pellinia rela- replacement. Find someone that's going to sit in that sort of alternate role to him. He does play as part of a midfield two, who both tend to sit quite deep behind a ten. So slightly different from the number eight role that maybe we've expected to see in, in the Marcus Silva system. But I think that he will be expected to at least first off play that kind of role, the, the Harrison Reed role, if you will.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, my my your instant thought with this does feel like a... I, I, I'm still fairly sure that we're gonna keep Polinia to the end of the season there's a lot of rumors swirling about at the moment including some stupid rumors that we're gonna suddenly accept less
0: money than we accepted I probably summer. ignore pletigol um because at this point he is becoming a bit of a buy-in mouthpiece um but keep an eye <laughs> keep an eye on Archie if you're looking for things out of out of Germany. Yes. Yes. But um,
1: yeah, it does feel like a Polina replacement. We all knew he was going to go eventually. And I think in the ideal world, not the ideal world, but in the best of a bad bunch world, if Polina is to go in the summer, but you've blooded in someone like Andre for six months, I mean, for for half a season, you've got an unreal midfield um, potentially. But then, you know, you've got that. That's good planning. If that is the case I've been asking for, man. (laughs) <laughs> that is the case uh the other player that we've been linked with uh jack uh i really want to call him jonas wind but i know it's jonas vind but uh yes. it's much more fun to call him jonas wind because that's how it's spelled all he do is wind wind wind
0: wind <laughs> wind um <he laughs> who is jo- he- who is jonas vind he is a danish striker who's currently playing at Wolfsburg. um there was a lot made of him, another one who was really highly touted as a youngster. He had a really good run at Copenhagen um, and moved along there. And he's actually, I think, third in the Bundesliga scoring charts behind Jurassic and and Kane um, and maybe Boniface. But he's definitely in that sort of chasing pack between the leading two. He joined Wolfsburg not January the January before, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And it didn't go great. To be honest, it wasn't all it wasn't brilliant to begin with, but he's starting to really show that ability that he did at Copenhagen. He's a little bit more of an all round forward than perhaps what we've got going on right now. He can bring others into play. He does a little bit of that penalty box poaching, but he gets around. He presses quite well um, and he does tend to stay in the middle and look for opportunities, which is something that perhaps Fulham are missing a little bit right now. He's Pretty good striker of the ball. He's decent header of the ball. He gets into dangerous areas, and his presence is pretty good. I, I like this as a replacement. Now we've been talking about you know someone like Santi Jimenez, who is a little bit difficult in terms of where his trajectory is going and how much he would cost. I don't know how much Vind would cost right now, but he's on a really good scoring streak. I think he has the presence and the physicality to play in the Premier League. And I wonder if this is a more achievable option for Fulham that won't break the bank, but also has more space to grow. He's only 24. He has that ability to, you know, to kick on and, and continue this development. It's not been a smooth path to the top, but perhaps that's maybe for the best in terms of settling in a new area and, and actually being comfortable in, in, in make, taking on new challenges. So yeah, I think as things go, I'll do more on both of these, to be honest, if they they become confirmed, I'm going to get some people in to, to talk about them and discuss them in a bit more depth. But I think the Vind is the right kind of profile. And I like this a lot more than some of the other, some of the other kind of players that we've been looking at or linked with who don't make quite as much sense to me or either cost wise or profile wise, this one fits as uh, as far as I'm concerned I guess my reluctance
1: to get excited about this is just like a similar problem when you looked at someone like Jurassic like it's not that easy to go to Wolfsburg mid-season and say oh yeah, yeah that
0: guy that scored eight and ten yeah we'd like him please uh in January. Yeah Wolfsburg are like 11th in the league though I think that's the difference you know you go to Jurassic at Stuttgart and you look at that and they're third in the league, right? I don't, they've fallen off a little bit after his injury and they're probably not going to be in the title race. They're already five points behind Bayern and, and six, six points, seven points behind Leverkusen. So they might not be there, but they're probably going to be in this race for the Champions League. That isn't going to be the case of Wolfsburg, who after a quite a good start have fallen away a little bit. And I wonder, he's been there for what? It will be two years, two full years in January. It's not like you're trying to pinch someone six months after they've signed a contract, which is in the case of Jurassic, for example. Yeah. This one feels a little bit more doable. And that's why I think that it's maybe a more sensible option to pursue than the Jurassic one, which just doesn't feel feasible by any stretch of the imagination for me. I mean, look, I could be wrong and I'd be delighted to be wrong, but I, I think this feels like a more feasible and more sensible in some ways transfer in terms of the prices we're talking and also the room for growth.
1: Yeah, no, I like I like the idea of, of both these transfers. So, um, a good start to the January uh, transfer window gossip, uh, nonetheless. But uh, a long way to go. It's still a month uh, until the uh, the window is open. But certainly, um, looks like rumours are, are are heading in the right direction. We'll take a break there afterwards. We'll look ahead to Monday's game against Wolves. Part two of the Fulhamish podcast. Sammy here with Jack Collins. Before we get into Wolves, just uh, a quick little um, bit of advertising for me for the Paul Allen Project. Uh, Lovely Claire Parrish runs the Paul Allen Project, which is the charity set up in Paul Parrish's memory, um, which aims to give uh, CPR training and also provide public access uh, defibrillators uh, for various uh, venues uh, across London. Uh, They do some amazing work and Claire is just so devoted uh, to, to to making this charity work in in her dad's legacy, um, and there's some fantastic events which uh, you can get involved with. Uh, you can find out all the details. Go to the Paul Project.org slash events. Uh, there's an upcoming Christmas raffle with loads of great prizes. Uh, there's a quiz on the 20th of January. Um, I went to uh, one of their recent quizzes at Sutton United. It's a really fun evening. And there's a golf day, uh, which I'm particularly excited for. And I've, uh, I've signed myself up. Um, I am terrible at golf, but it's at the Farley Golf Club on the 23rd of May, 2024. Um, it's going to be awesome there's uh barbecue dj party raffle prizes um 75 quid and which i for me for me for a good golf day is a bit of a steal and you're giving it to, and it's going to charity as well uh all those details uh, and if you fancy beating me at golf uh the paul allen project.org forward slash events me and you've played golf a yeah. few times it's been a little while hasn't it
0: yeah, it has been a while, so um, I'm, I'm hoping that, hoping that by the time we get around to that, I will have played a little bit more golf. Um, but yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a good day. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. So we'll be uh, we'll be signing up for, for that very soon.
1: Yeah, it's my uh, New Year's resolutions. I have I just didn't well, I just... every
0: year, and you haven't haven't done it last no, year. this year. Did, did this year, before. I'm
1: telling you, I'm going to be playing more golf. I've been really annoyed at not being able to play enough golf. Uh, New Year's year. resolution
0: is get on the PGA tour.
1: Yeah, can't. <laughs> Mate, my New Year's resolution is to hit under a hundred, uh, and that would be that would be ideal if That'd I could start. do that
0: one day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly.
1: Let's look ahead to Wolves on Monday, then, mate. Um, no, Jaupalina, uh for this, which is a, a massive blow, and this just feels like a monumentally massive game. Obviously. Don't win this, then you're away to Liverpool and it starts to look really ugly and then the pressure really ramps up. A win on Monday would just massively ease everyone's tensions at Fulham, which have been building and building and building. I think you guys on the most recent pods were completely right that what more can you massively expect from the last four matches other than a point and probably even a point is better than actually you, you should have hoped for from four really difficult games, but you know, lose this and it's five without a win, likely six when you go to Anfield and then you've just got a couple of crunch home games and then it's just much more tense than anyone wants. So please, please follow. Please win this. Yeah, no,
0: no one wants that. No one wants that. It's been a bit of a weird one because Wolves didn't start brilliantly, as as we know. But in the last sort of month or so, through September and October, through the end of September and October, they sort of did a bit of steal from the rich, give to the poor. They they mm. lost to Ipswich in the third round of the cup. They gave a point to Luton at Kenilworth Road. They gave three points to Sheffield United at Bramall Lane. But then they beat Man City, took a point off Villa. They beat Bournemouth. I mean, that's slightly slightly past the trend. They took a point off Newcastle and beat Tottenham. So by that logic, away from home against a side currently below them in the table, we should be looking at three points here. (laughs) That that might be good. Um, But look, Gary O'Neill's done a very good job. And there were question marks over that appointment, I think. Um, But he's started to get this side playing some nice stuff. They play an interesting kind of formation they play that three at the back that revolves around the ability in the air of Craig Dawson in the middle. Totti Gomes is playing as a sort of hybrid left-back, left-centre-back. And then there's Max Kilman, And then they have two flying wing-backs who are allowed to get forward now, which is what gets the best out of Ike Nori and, and Semedo. And the big kind of breakthrough player in many ways has been Jean Belagard, who has really come through um, and, and, and been a, a complete player. He's a little bit basuma Dembele-esque in the way that he plays. Um, They've signed him from Strasbourg in the summer. And he looked... At the time, I think people were a bit confused about that deal. He didn't quite get going that easily. But he then did. He's really started to play. And I really like him. I think he's a really, really clever player. He, He works really hard in the midfield. But he's also very technically able. Like, works his way out of challenges really nicely. He has that ability to just glide with the ball. And I think that he's a big part of why Wolves has started to look really good. Now, the Tottenham game was interesting in that they obviously scored both goals in stoppage time. they scored the 91st and 97th minute after conceding really, really early on. But Wolves look settled again. And this formation seems to be getting the best out of a number of players. They've got differing options to kind of chase games. They started a lot of games with, with Huang and Cunha. Cunha's a, a a brilliant runner of the ball. We saw that in that early game against Manchester United, but does lack a little bit of that finishing touch. Huang is a really nice link player. He's sort of a 9-10 hybrid who works really well, can play wide as well, but has scored a fair few goals in, in this area. Then they can throw on players like Kalajic, can throw on someone like Tommy Doyle, who's on loan from City and who had a really good run in the championship last season. Pablo Sarabia spoke about the fact he's really struggled at Wolves, but... Is now starting to be comfortable. There's a lot of talent in this side, and I think that O'Neill is starting to get a tune out of them. And it's not a particularly nice time to play Wolves is probably what I would say.
1: Yeah, no, it feels like a really, really difficult, tricky game. Obviously, beginning of the season, everyone was saying Wolves are going down. I think we all, uh, me, you and Peter, uh, fell into the trap of thinking Wolves were doomed. And and, and the day that they let go of Lopetegui and hired Gary O'Neill, I was like, well, they've just given up. Um and fool all, all fool us because and and you know I was definitely part of the the bandwagon of uh, Iriola's gonna be uh, a brilliant um, appointment for Bournemouth still remains to be seen he still could he be
0: um, yeah, I still think he will yeah they give but, him time Iriola will turn that time around yeah,
1: yeah so. But they've they've been hugely um, impressive. And even in some of the games they lost that first game of the season against Man United, like they should have won at Old Trafford. They had, they had so, so many chances. Um, from a full perspective, Jack, um, no Polinia. We know it didn't go very well. Uh, the three times I think it happened last year, definitely obviously remember the Arsenal and Brentford games where he didn't play. He didn't play in that Newcastle game where we lost. So we don't have a very good record without him. So how can we fix this problem of trying to
0: play without Jaupelina. Uh, well, it's very difficult when you, your best player isn't there, right? It's, it's as simple as that. But we did beat I mean, Everton about him, actually, season, didn't we? Yeah, exactly. The start of the season was was a little bit difficult, a little bit different without him. And Fulham were able to make that work. I, I think that we will see Luke Hitch and Reid. That would be my immediate thought, because without him, I think just how it, having two players there who can... Fill in that role capably between them is probably the best way to go. Whether that makes Fulham impotent in attack, well, more impotent in attack, is, is a different question. But one of the kind of key things there, I think is going to be balancing this midfield because Wolves have got a really strong shape in there. So obviously I've, I've just touched on, on Bellegarde, but we know what Mario Lamina can do. And, and Joao Gomes is really starting to come into his own as that kind of talent that they really expected to, to kick on this season. So as a midfield three, those three, Bellegarde, Lamina and Gomge are very, very talented, very good at winning the ball back. It can do the physical side of things, but also very technically able as well between the three of them. So I think Fulham are going to have to put up a scrap in there and that's why I would suggest he might edge for a pairing such as Lukic and Reed, because I think it's going to be, that's that's going to be where the game is, is won and lost. On the flanks, I think there's enough, you know, between, there's not that much between the two teams in terms of what Fulham can offer going forward uh, and from fullback. But that big in the middle without Polinia looks like a, a really tough battle to win. And I think it's going to involve a little bit more of just maybe a tad more sensibility in terms of what he's trying to do in there.
1: Yeah, obviously, uh, looks maybe like Issa Diop might be back in contention. Fulham posted kind of those cryptic photos of, of Diop in training, which you imagine they wouldn't be posting if they weren't reasonably confident of uh, of him back being back. He's had a long time now to recover from that injury that he picked up uh, way back in the Sheffield United game. So that will be a huge boost if Issa's back, because as much as I think Bassi has been admirable in that role, he has massively struggled um, to, on his right foot and and Fulham's kind of whole possession game has, has really suffered just by not having Issa Diop's kind of control of the ball on, the, on that right-hand side, the way that he links up with either Timothy Castagna or Kenny Tete. So that will be a huge boost for us if Issa's back, Jack.
0: Yeah, yeah, it would be. And it's just a, about kind of balancing that backward line and making sure that Fulham are comfortable playing out from the angles. Now, I think we've seen growth between Bassey and Ream as a partnership and, and trying to make that work. But I still think the way that Marco wants to set his team up involves having a left foot on the left and a right foot on the right. And those, you know, those angles that that opens up in terms of passing lanes and, and going wide seems to be the kind of key element to making this Fulham side tick. So it would be a, a, a huge boost if, if the back here. Yeah. Um, yeah. And
1: really up front, Jack, um, it's tough to know exactly who he's going to go for. You'd have thought though, after Shrugs. getting a goal against Villa and maybe a little point to prove against his former club. I, I know that there's a lot of love from Wolves fans for, for, for Raoul, but I would have thought it has to be Raoul unless Moon is his back from injury.
0: Yeah, I think it will be. I think it will be Raul. And I think that he's the fact he scored against Villa should probably give him the nod for this, for this game. I just hope he doesn't go for Harry Wilson on us and um, refused to play football against any of his former clubs, (laughs) uh, which is an incredibly weird trait that Harry seems to have. Uh, He just seems to go missing whenever he's playing anyone that he's ever played for before. But yeah, I mean, look, I'm not sure he'll have a point to prove, but uh, I think that the opportunity to play in this game against the side that gave him so much love, especially after that injury, is probably something that will, will spur him on. And whilst I can't imagine him being, you know, I can't imagine him celebrating wildly in front of the Wolves fans if he does score a goal... I think that there will be that, that sense of being like, no, I've still got it. The club let me go a tad. You know, they they were they were comfortable letting me go for a relatively low fee. And that's got to be something that he's going to look at and be like, yeah, I will prove you wrong. I will prove you that I've still got more in the tank. So I'd be surprised if it isn't Raul.
1: Yeah. and And on the right, Jack, I just wonder if this might be one where he puts Bobby on the right because of, you know, which. But without Polina, I think we're going to have to be a more defensive um, unit and, and and Bobby will be able to kind of deal with, with the wing back um, a little bit more than Wilson. But obviously, it's it's quite defensive when Fulham do that. But I, I don't know. I've just got a hunch that he'll go for Bobby and then try and bring on Harry if we need him.
0: Maybe. I, I The only thing I would say is that obviously Wilson's cameo against Villa was brilliant. He's had a good international break and so has Bobby, but... When you're actually looking at this, it depends what that midfield looks like. If he does go for a more shieldy midfield, too, of Lukic and Reed, and doesn't play a creator deep in the way that he has done recently, someone like Kearney or a in, in those roles, maybe if he goes for Lukic and Reed, you get a Wilson. If he goes for a Lukic and a for example, then maybe you get a Bobby Deckard over Reed to try and just pull that back in a little bit and just find that balance. So, i'd be intrigued to see what it looks like but i think it will it will involve you know having you know one more player on kind of defensive mode if you will to go full football manager on you you know just having someone on on a slightly more those those wavelengths i think connect i I can't see us going lukic awobi wilson
1: yeah, no, I don't think we'll do that either. I think I think you're right. I, I'm I'm certain it will be Lou Kitchen Reed, and then I'd like to hope Awobi in the ten, but this is Marcus Silva and um, his his selection of of Andreas Pereira is never that
0: far away. So it could be Awobi a back on the bench. You'd like might to be Awobi wide, which I would like. I would like to see if Awobi can play that William role. I think there's real scope for him to to succeed there, and that might be something, especially with. Bulls playing a wing back that he might experiment with here.
1: I'd enjoy that. I, n- I know. I think, I think if there's one player that should be sacrificed from this team right now, I, I think it's, it should be possibly William. If you're looking. Yeah. More than. Yeah. Yeah. I'd go for that. Lukic, Reid, Iwobi on the left,
0: Pereira in the middle. Wilson on the right. Yeah. I'd go Wilson. But I mean, I I can accept your, I can accept your Bobby shout here. Yeah.
1: One of one of Wilson or Bobby. I'd
0: play Bobby through the middle as ever, but it is what it
1: is. Yeah. No, he's, 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 he's not going to do that. Right. We'll take one more break afterwards. We'll get into some of your emails. Part three of the Fulhamish podcast with Sally and Jack. Uh, Before we finish today, let's go through some of your emails. I've got quite a few here to get through. So I'll try and get, uh, Through as many as I can. Uh, First of all, to Glenn from North Carolina. Uh, He sent this a couple of weeks ago. He said the match at Villa Park has only just ended. So pardon my defeatism. But I feel that this is a legitimate question to ask. How many goals have Fulham conceded this season as a direct consequence of taking an offensive corner kick? In other words, we lose possession after we've taken a corner and the other team breaks and scores. And how does it compare to the number of goals we've scored from corners this season? Because it feels like our inability to score from corners has done more to set up chances for the opposing side than it has done to scare them into thinking that there was any legitimate threat to their goal in the first place. Between that and giving away possession from throw-ins, it seems like a fundamental aspect of our game is just failing consistently and it seems such an easy fix as well that it's all the more frustrating to watch. Anyway, here's hoping Marco and co bring in a specialist like Liverpool to teach the boys on how to win the second ball off their own throw-ins and that he runs some set-piece drills during the international break. Come on you whites, uh, Glenn from North Carolina. Now Jack, I know you were keen to to dive into this question
0: yeah so I, I don't know like the numerical answer yeah but I have a major problem with the attitude towards short corners and there was a really brilliant moment in a press conference from Notts County actually this week whose attitude and well I think that every time we take a short corner everyone groans and it winds me up because short corners are the most effective way of taking corners like full stop It's just, it's as simple as that. And actually when Luke Williams spoke about it, he's the Notts County manager and he basically came out and said, I'm going to tell you the truth. We have the most shots on target from corners in English football. One in four corners results in a shot on target, which is the best by a long way. We scored the most goals in the division from corners, but no one knows they're from corners, do you? Because unless we whack it in the box, it's somehow not a corner. We take a corner, we pass the ball until that ball is turnover or we give away and it goes off the pitch. It's still a corner and we're extremely successful at corners. I'm sorry to break your hearts, but it's the truth. And this is a fact, right? Like Short corners are, statistically speaking the best way to take corners. And it stops this happening because there is so much of it where we whack the ball in the box and get done, done on the break. And even if it's not numerically in terms of the goals we concede, the chances we concede from that worry me immensely. Now, I actually think we're better at corners than maybe we've been credit, given credit for here. So there is that, in that there's been a couple of opportunities and especially with Polinia in there, it's always, you know, there's always that kind of chance that he will get his head on things. And we have scored one. We have scored one at Arsenal. But I am a huge proponent of short corners. Every time we take a short corner, everyone around me in the hammersmith end groans. And it winds me up no end because it's the most sensible way to take a corner. And it results in the most sort of sensible way of, of making things happen. And it also stops you being absolutely done in transition by... Other teams. So there's my take. Right. Okay. Okay. But
1: it's not, okay. Let's say it's Carabao cup quarter final in a couple of weeks. We're one nil down against Everton and we've won a corner. Are you taking it short or are you putting everyone in the box?
0: Well, it depends. I I think there is a space for lobbing the ball into the box in the 90th minute in the same way that I think there's a space for sticking your center back up front. If you're chasing a game, if it's good enough for Guardiola at Barcelona, it's good enough for me like PK going up front for the last five minutes when they're chasing games. But it doesn't mean that that's a sensible strategy for the entire 90 minutes. That's a last ditch hit and hope strategy. And so if you're giving me a corner one nil down in the 12th minute, I'm going short. Sure. If you give it to me in the 90th minute, fine. Okay. No problem.
1: Okay. I, 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 I will, I must admit that there's definitely a little bit of a, just an old fashioned, you want the ball in the box type thing and I I certainly don't groan over I mean there's nothing more
0: infuriating though than a short corner going wrong or just
1: like it is is
0: painful to watch but is that more frustrating than a ball just going over everyone's head or the keeper catching it from a corner like I don't see that any more frustrating in terms of the outcomes exactly the same apart from actually when the ball is cleared from a corner that goes into the box or it goes straight into the keeper's hands it often resolves in quite a quick counter-attack, which he very rarely does in terms of a short corner. Yeah.
1: I, I do think, like, you're seeing more and more now and it's going lower and lower down the pyramid of specialist coaches, like, in every department. I saw Wigan advertising yesterday for a defensive set piece coach or something like that. And you're like, Oh my God, like we're we're going that load. It used to be something like reserved for the very top teams. And now all the way through football, you're getting just like more and more niche kind of expertise in, uh, in, in various. We should get a set
0: piece coach. I think it's a very important part of the game. And look, when Brentford got a throwing coach, everyone mocked them. And then they realized, everyone realized that they were actually starting to create more opportunities from throw-ins than anyone else in the division. And suddenly people weren't mocking them anymore because it's a system that works. And I think that you can do everything you possibly can to gain an edge. Mm. One of them is set pieces. It's something that we've traditionally been quite strong at. We should look to emphasize that and make it count.
1: Yeah. I don't know why anyone would mock a team having a set piece coach or a throw in, like all the better, like, and you, and you think of the vast sums of money that, club spend on a player they'll they'll get a backup a third backup left back and pay them 25 grand a week whereas for about 50 grand a year you can probably get a throwing coach like the actual money uh uh, is the sums are uh, are pale into into insignificance that you'd have to pay for a player let's say um yeah Yeah. this one from griffin hey Fulamish, just wanted to start by saying thanks for the pod Uh, i'm from canada And I'm yet to meet another Fulham fan. Uh, Having your podcast gives me a place to expand my appreciation for the club. There's some Fulham fans, other Fulham fans. Ben Jarman's in Canada. Yeah. Head over to Vancouver and uh, you can, you can meet uh, Ben Jarman. He's too busy watching ice hockey rather than Fulham these days. But, um, Uh, He'll definitely he'll definitely go for a pint with you if you live in Vancouver. Anyway, it says now for the question. I was wondering on who you all think is the most valuable player for Fulham outside of Polina. I've only been a fan for two years, so I'm not the most knowledgeable. But from the games I've watched, I find that our fullbacks provide so much for us. And when they don't play, um, for example, Anthony Robinson or Kenny Tete, we really seem to struggle. Um, would love for this to be featured on the podcast and would for one day to be able to visit and experience a game at the cottage. Uh, that's from Griffin. Um, yeah. Most valuable player in the team other than Joao. I, I mean, straight in, I'd Leno. say. Burn.
0: Yeah. I, I think the thing is that actually when, when you look at it and you look at the fullback options we have in reserve, I'm less worried, you know, Castagna and Balotore both, Excellent fullbacks who have been good when they've played this season. So I think actually, maybe the key point here is the drop off after your first choice. And I think for me, you know, a Zwawa aside, that would be Burnt Leno.
1: Although Marek, I feel like, is improving all the time and has been really good in the cups. Like, I, I it would obviously be a huge blow to lose Burnt, but I feel like, yeah. I mean, left wing would be a bit of an issue. Then a Woby, yeah, it probably is Burn, but that's
0: not a slight
1: on Marek. I think that's just saying how no, good Burn is. Just,
0: yeah, exactly. He's just, uh, you know, a top class goalkeeper and, and you, there's not loads of them, especially in terms of exactly the style that Fulham need with shot stopping, etc. Like those, those keepers are worth their weight in gold to a side like Fulham. We saw it last year with Jose Sarr, right? At, at Wolves. What he brought to the table was actually the kind of difference between them going down and staying up and that's that's important at this level and so therefore i think that those fine margins and what he's done have proved pretty crucial for everything that we've done over the last two years so yeah my answer would be burning out yeah this one from
1: Leighton says hello Fulhamish long time listener first time emailer. always love to hear it he said I thought I would it would be interesting to compare and contrast Raul Jiménez's season so far with Bobby Zamora's first season at the club Uh, according to his Wikipedia page Bobby played 35 league games in his first season at Fulham and scored two goals I remember he got a lot of grief off fans at the time and uh, if you listen to the upshots uh, famously on the, uh, the the full of message board. If, uh, if you listen to the last episode, um, but he obviously improved substantially in his second season, especially when playing in Europe, it's different times in different systems. And there is more pressure on a single striker in Marco systems. Whereas Bobby ha- also had AJ alongside him. Do you think there was more to Bobby's game that enabled Roy to stick with him in that first season or the space to be able to play two strikers or dare I say, might the increased, um, Pressure of social media and demands for instant results mean that Rao will not get the same amount of time that Bobby did to settle into the team. So, it's, thank for man, uh, making all the pods. Keep it up from Leighton.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think a strike partnership is very different to a strike, you know, a singular striker. Um, and that's something that has to be you know, considered when you do this, because I think there was a little bit more leeway for bobby in that he if he wasn't great aj was probably scoring goals and therefore the pressure was lifted off both of them by the fact that his kind of target man hold up presence was being utilized by a player making the most of those opportunities so that definitely plays a part so it's it's different in that we you know from a striker right now Fulham need kind of everything. If Bobby, Bobby Zamora was playing in this system right now as a solo striker in his prime, not like at 45, um, I think there would be, and he was performing like he did in that first season, there would be far more questions about him in this system than there were in that because of the way that he was able to bring others into play in Roy's system. And I think that's pretty crucial just in terms of, of how the team sets up and what it looks like. So yes and no. Um, social media will have played a part. The fact that you know we're perennially more online now and also there is far more kind of debate and, and statistical analysis around players and what they're bringing to the table. All of that doesn't help strikers who are struggling, I don't think. But equally, that was a different time in a different system and there were mitigating factors in terms of how long Bobby was able to stay within that team and actually given that time to settle. I
1: think the thing with Bobby is that... Underneath it all, you knew that there was potential there for for him to improve. And my my worry with Raoul is that th- this could be it. Like there 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 they might be the old Raoul in there, but I think we've got someone. Who is on the decline from the peak of their powers, whereas I feel like with Bobby, you were kind of like you were frustrated because you knew that deep down there was a great striker there. He just wasn't performing in that first season. He wasn't settling, and I don't think anyone could have predicted the second and third season that he had for Fulham and the impact that he made. But yeah, this this I, I, it feels like Bobby was a player on the way up that was struggling, whereas Raoul is a player on the on the way down in the nicest
0: possible terms. I think he was signed also at what, 27, 26, 27, which feels like a very different time zone to where we've signed Raul. And I think that that's kind of important to kind of look at it and and think about it in that kind of regard. Look at the career that Bobby had after Fulham, right? He went back to Brighton and then had a a spell there. He went to QPR, obviously, and, and scored the goal that got them promoted. He had like, what, four or five good championship years after his spell at Fulham. Can you see Raul, even if he left next summer, going and having five, six good championship years? I, I, do, I don't see it. I think he's closer to the end of his career. And look, that might be exacerbated and, and brought forward by the fact that he has had this injury. But there is definitely a slightly different vibe on, in terms of where the player was in their t- career trajectory at the point where they were signed.
1: Right. That'll do for the podcast today. Uh, A bit of a a bit of a longer one. Always tends to happen when it's me and you. I'm like, oh, it's just me and Jack. The ramble. What are we going to have to talk about? And then we always end up like, oh God, we've gone well over an hour. Um, But anyway, thank you very much uh, for listening today. And uh, Jack, thank you for being on. No, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. Uh, it will be one of those uh, double pods in quick succession weeks next week Uh, George will be back uh, with the regular pod on Tuesday looking back at everything that happens in the Wolves game and then next Thursday kind of afternoon evening uh, myself and Jack we're going to be joined by Paddy Barkley which is really exciting uh, on on this podcast we've been meaning to try and get Paddy um, obviously very very well-known and well-regarded journalist but also has a Fulham season ticket um, and a big big soft spot for fulham so um yeah but we wanted to try to make the stars line and get paddy on for ages so i'm really excited for next week's uh thursday club but uh we'll save that for next week jack have a lovely weekend whatever you do what are you
0: doing i'm going to i'm going to party in Campbellwell. All right, am excited I'm going to party in the tiger in campboy on Saturday night and then I'll be at the cottage on Monday all very exciting nice nice I, I've got a uh,
1: a very uh, mundane weekend to be to be perfectly honest but yeah looking forward to uh Monday and uh fingers crossed getting uh back to uh winning ways I mean uh, uh my other team Horsham have had um, some incredible luck this week so I'm hoping uh, getting into the second round of the FA Cup via the virtue of an ineligible player so I'm hoping that maybe Fulham can get a little bit of that luck on monday as well um, please which would please. be which would be really really nice hope for those football gods shine down on fulham too uh, but yeah until then have a lovely weekend whatever you do and fingers crossed we can get that win on monday come on you whites
0: you wait you wait